Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Get tickets and merch and other cool ways to support the Trilon there. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. I used to like going to the pictures and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Not for lack of courage, I'm Cody Narvison and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I dress up like this to go get noodles. I'm Harry. You can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Uh, I'm Aaron. I'm not in the mood for this fucking bit because I once again did not think of a line Ooh. from the film in order to say. You can find me on Twitter at uh, RB, please. That's not bad. Yeah, I was I was going to say like Harry was going to take that one, uh, but but I think Aaron's really gunning for the throne on the on the bit. Thank you. Of course, uh, you will expect great things from you for the rest of this episode. Today, we're talking about the 2000 film In the Mood for Love, one of Wong Kar Wai's best known films and a continuation of our Wong Kar Watch series. Uh, Aaron, do you have a summary for us this this late Friday evening? Indeed, you're revealing when we're recording this episode. It'll date it so much. Uh, yes, In the Mood for Love, 2000 film directed by Wong Kar Wai. Uh, the film portrays the growing relationship between two individuals living in Hong Kong in the 1960s. Uh, Su Li Zhen, played by Maggie Chung, and Chow Mo Wan, played by Tony Leung, uh, both of whom uh, are married to uh, other individuals and move in with their spouses to neighboring apartments. Uh, they begin to mutually realize that their spouses may be cheating on them with each other. And this realization, as well as the isolating environment uh, of an ever-modernizing Hong Kong, causes them to begin to develop their own relationship. Uh, In the Mood for Love was critically acclaimed on its release, being nominated for the Palme d'Or uh, and various other awards, winning many as well. Uh, over time, the film has not only been seen as uh, generally Wong Kar Wai's masterpiece, but is also generally considered one of the best films of the 21st century and one of the best films kind of, uh, if not in films in general, then in Asian cinema. Um, so yes, I'm excited to talk about this film. As am I. Uh, we'll have to figure out the structure for this um, opening part at some point, because I feel like it would be natural for you to just go straight into your thoughts from there, but I'm going to throw up a wall because I already have mine ready. Um, I... I literally don't know if there's anything wrong with this movie. It, it is a perfect five in my book. I, I did the courtesy of not rating it on Letterboxd, but I did read y'all's previous reviews and some ratings uh, because I know that this is the not the first time that some of us on this podcast have seen this. Uh, this is IMO, a perfect movie. Um, I am coming fresh off of just having seen it. Uh, some very specific things that I liked were, I guess, and maybe we can dig into them later. Um, the importance that Wong Kar Wai has placed on like property and ownership and things like literal object things this time around, uh, that I did not notice if even see in previous movies of his. Um, I love how it is a constant tension. It's not, I mean, like a lot of his films are, uh, sort of like the, the, the stress, what, whatever is, 
whatever keeps you really glued to your seat is is like driven by that tension between two primary characters or you know two sets of relationships excuse me two dyads um but this movie really milks it for all it's worth and like days of being wild i like harry you said that i was gonna love the visuals and how this movie looked and felt because it was set in the 60s and it uses that color palette and the soft grainy textures to the film you were right absolutely love how it looks and how it moves and how it sounds um i don't Maybe somebody can level me about it later on by bringing up good criticism, but I get the feeling where this is, for me, it's just going to be a splurge cast. Cody. Splurge cast. Wait a a what? A spooge cast. Excuse me. Uh, Thank you. Do Uh, you actually prefer gush cast? Like, what do you want me to say? Cody, take it it away from there. Cody. Uh, If you're just joining us, this is, uh, well, my name is cody and uh welcome welcome back to splooge cast um jason coming in hot i i love it i love the energy uh i don't you think love the energy well, you need to hear I, it i i'm certainly not going to level you or, or bring you down from where you're at jason so uh, uh i will let you i'll let you ride free um but yeah i i guess it feels appropriate to me that the trajectory of our wonkar y series is where it is right now with this movie specifically this was the first and for a little while the only one Kawhi movie i had seen uh, i'd loved it then and i remember thinking at the time that this is so unlike anything i'd ever watched before and having experienced one Kawhi's filmography in this way you know us seeing how he's grown as a filmmaker over time uh, pretty linearly uh, my regard for this movie is not just unwavering but it's also probably bolstered um i love where this movie goes stylistically, I always feel like I comment on this, but using the same sort of like intimacy motifs and uh, focus on architecture to convey the same sort of yearning as we're used to, but in a way that's perhaps evolved, if that's fair to say. And it's something I felt glimpses of uh, in Happy Together, specifically the times when we were gesturing at a, a greater physical and emotional distance between the two leads um that's fully on display here whether it's through uh filming with mirrors or filming from behind filming like we're craning our necks around a a a hallway uh that by the time we get to an unobscured close-up of maggie chung or, or somebody else or we get to a scene with two characters standing right next to each other it feels such uh like such a much more vulnerable moment almost like it's too intimate and it's like wrong for us to be looking at these people um I also felt uh, a fondness for uh, how time and temporality are regarded in this movie. And um, to an extent, thinking back to pretty much every other Wong Kar Wai movie, we've talked about how those things are uh, almost revered, whether it's through a, uh, you know, a monologue about a moment on a clock, uh, kind of that as a plot point, or even just a close up of a clock, which we have a few in this movie. Um, here we're, we're given a series of scenes that flow together so well and could easily be rearranged into really any other number of permutations but we get reminders including through a few intratitles kind of at the beginning and the end that these times and eras are fleeting and what we're witnessing is one of those periods that both we and the characters can never return to time is just this and cut and dry inevitability and i don't know that just hit me differently here uh in good and pretty devastating ways um but yeah i loved returning to this movie and uh, uh like i said i'm thrilled it landed so fruitfully within this series uh i feel like there will be some great things we can talk about um, it's a pleasure seeing uh, two of the most beautiful and talented people who ever lived fall in love with each other on screen. Um, and I look forward to returning to this movie throughout my lifetime so they can break my heart uh, again and again. Uh, but that's all for me. Over to you, Harry. Thanks, Cody. Um, you said a lot of really good stuff. This is sort of one of those um, introductory sequences where I can feel my 
feet going crazy like i'm uh the road runner in a looney tunes cartoon and i just want to be like set down so that i can take off running um i i agree with everything that's been said here i've always i've thought that this was one car wise masterpiece um it was particularly um rewarding to return to after having seen the rest of his filmography which is why i'm so grateful that it's um at the end of our one car why watch like this um it sits for me when I when I say it's a masterpiece, I mean it in the sense that I believe that this movie is sort of a um, thesis culmination um, and intersection of a couple of different things that Wong Kar Wai has been thinking about and making films about throughout his career that all really come to a head and culminate in a really like realized statement about human connection and what it means to be human and what it means to be in love in this movie. Um, I understood some crucial aspects of that on my first watch, but I think watching the rest of Wong Kar Wai's films the way we have um, over the last couple of weeks, especially The Hand, which is funny because we haven't talked about it um, yet uh, chronologically if you're listening to this because we we recorded about it earlier, but um, we'll be releasing it later. That was a keystone for me in understanding this movie's class politics. Um, I would say Happy Together was a keystone for me in understanding the movie's um, immigration politics and politics of national identity. Um, And uh, even something like As Tears Go By and Days of Being Wild um, really helped me understand the temporal aspects that, uh, Cody, you alluded to. And so this movie is, is so fascinating because it is a masterpiece in its own right. But to me, it also represents a sort of maturation of Wong Kar Wai. And um, this is maybe a little bit more of a a head ass opinion, but even like as a movie that came out in 2000, right? Like at the, at the bridge of um, the millennium, it like, it looks back in such a beautiful, outstanding way. And, and sort of like a lot like uh, Satoshi Kon's millennium actress, it like, has this beautiful way of summarizing an entire era of human existence, right? And and becoming so universal for that in spite of or even because of its hyper-focus and its hyper-specificity. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to talk about here. I think it's a masterpiece. Um, I would say maybe start with uh, Chunking Express rather than this one if you want to start with a Wong Kar Wai because I think it's really valuable to have seen Wong Kar Wai movies before you see this one. But that being said, um, at one point it was one of two Wong Kar Wai movies I had seen. And the first time I saw it, I also was completely floored by it. Um, And so there's really not a bad time to watch In the Mood for Love, I suppose, um, unless you're feeling extremely vulnerable because, uh, spoilers, it's a a deeply, deeply sad movie also. Um, But I'll be super interested in hearing what Aaron has to say about it. I thought it was okay. No, I'm just, uh, uh, I I think when when you said, uh, I think, (laughs) yeah, no, that's it. Uh, I think, I think, uh, maturation is probably the right word. Harry, you said that, right? I think that, um, one, like not even criticism, but like one thing that we've kind of pointed out is that there were moments in some of his earlier films that like, I think, especially watching all of these as like a film series and, and mostly chronologically, I think that there are moments that, Um, and I, again, I don't mean this too critically, but can kind of be seen as like bordering on self parody at times in some of his films. Um, and I think that as a film that, you know, uh, yeah, I, I had not seen any Wong Kar Wai. It was like a a big, I think blind spot for me. Right. 
um, I have many of them, but it was one of them uh, in like international cinema. Um, and, you know, in regard to this film, which is generally seen as Wong Kar Wai's best, um, it's been a film that like, as we like kind of structured this with what the Trilon was doing and, uh, you know, kind of the, a lot of the streaming for these, these new restorations that came out, I think that In the Mood for Love was clearly like the climax of this film series, right? Like this is where the film series was going towards, right? Due to the the kind of, uh, you know, f- famous uh, and kind of like uh, cultural uh, uh, place that this film has. Um, you know, this is his most well-known film. This is his most critically uh, acclaimed film, this and, and maybe Chungking Express. Um, and I think that this uh, is not a disappointment in that manner. I think it really uh, lives up to that. Um, I think that it's, it's really interesting to see his kind of typical... Uh, filmmaking techniques kind of peek out from time to time, just shots here and there that that kind of go slow-mo just like every once in a while, right? Um, but it, it's obviously less in your face in that manner compared to, I think, all of his other films. Um, it is one of the few that we watched that is completely devoid of violence. I think that uh, The Hand is probably uh, the other one that that is similar in that manner. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the themes that he's been working on, uh, The Hollow Ship, or the hollowness of relationships and interactions in kind of a more technological era. I think that that is, is kind of in the background now. Um, but that kind of general feeling is still intact. Um, I, I also really like how this movie restricts the viewpoint of the audience, right? It only allows us to yeah. see uh, the, the viewpoints of the, the two main characters. And I've, I've read a lot on the internet about how, uh, you know, what this movie would look like if it was made in Hollywood and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of that's kind of overblown or whatever. But I do think that that sense of restraint is something that I think is easy to take for granted. I think when you see things like, um, you know, the hallway shots or the, the shots where, where the two characters are clearly mirroring each other, right? Um, I think that a lot of that seems like very obvious. Like, of course, that's how you'd make a movie like this. But when I think about similar films that have been made in the United States, they're not as artfully done, uh, to be quite frank. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this movie. I think that there is a lot about uh, like gender politics and, and culture that's maybe specific to Hong Kong, maybe even Hong Kong at this time, that I wish I could speak a little too more, and I, I wish I could understand it a bit more. But um, regardless of that, I think that I would probably say this is my favorite movie of his, and I, I really enjoyed it. Sorry, I've been going on for like years now, but yeah. That's about as long as I ever go on, so don't worry about it, man. I mean, you know, I'm the hey, verbose one. Uh, Harry, I wanted to ask Aaron a question, so I'll let you go first. Oh, I, w- I was just going to say, I think something Aaron said is a really good um, place to start, which is I really want to talk about framing, staging, and blocking of the characters and of the shot choices in this movie. I think that's a really good way into understanding this movie's characterization and uh, honestly getting at some of its its broader themes. But I'm interested in the question that you wanted to ask first, Jason. I was going to ask, like, what does... Uh, when you tell me that, that you enjoy that it, like, restricts... Uh, sorry, this is for Aaron, but generally that it restricts the viewpoint of the audience to just those two main characters that it really limits its scope overall. And it's probably complementary to framing and, uh, and blocking, but um, what does that add in this movie? And like, then maybe compare and contrast that with other Wong Kar Wai films, which some of which are known for like really exploding the scope to, you know, more than one relationship and more than two people. Uh, what was that like compare how those worked versus how this is working for you? Um. Sure. I, I think that I I first 
started noticing Wong Kar Wai doing that uh, in Days of Being Wild, which is early early on in his career. I think on that episode when we talked about it, uh, I think I talked specifically about a shot in a hotel room where two characters are lying and kind of facing the same direction. And I, I said that that uh, the, the shot is like so wonderfully composed because as the characters react to what they are saying to each other, they're unable to see their own reaction. So they can hear from a verbal standpoint, they can, they can hear what someone is saying, what someone is thinking, uh, or what someone is kind of putting out there as the response to what was said a minute ago. Uh, but their faces kind of show where they're not being truthful. And that this kind of uh, limited perspective, this kind of, uh, you know, the audience is given kind of a greater perspective uh, than what the characters are seeing. And that we're able to, especially in, in so many of his movies that have relationships specifically between individual characters, right? Like this person is knows this person and this person also knows this person, but they don't know that they know each other, right? As that kind of stuff gets more complicated with his films, I think that the way that he... Uh, limits that kind of viewpoint is really important. And I think here, if you look at something like the fact that we never see the faces of the main character's spouses, I think it's like so important, right? Right. Um, because we, we, Wong Kar Wai is really bringing us into the limited perspective that the characters have, right? Like, are there, are there partners really cheating on them? Like, I think, yes, I think that's obviously the case. But by limiting information about that, we're able to be given the same kind of ambiguity that the characters are facing. And I think from like a narrative standpoint, uh, that's been something that he's been like slowly moving towards. I think, especially if you look at like as tears go by, that's a a film that has very little of that. And I think that film feels so messy. Um, Sometimes I think that film can feel messy in a kind of good way sometimes. But I think that when I think of the films of his that I don't like as much, it's usually the ones that feel a little messier. uh, And this one feels like tight and compact and like it's doing everything that it wants to. Um, Yeah, really well said. Uh, I just like to follow up. We've been talking in in terms of framing this as um, maturation and sort of culmination of Wong Kar Wai's work. And uh, we've talked a lot or I've talked a lot about um, the sympathy in Wong Kar Wai's camera and the empathy that it has for its characters in the sense that we're literally seeing through their viewpoint. I think that that is made really manifest in this uh, movie by the framing, both in terms of how we're seeing the movie through their eyes and also literally how we feel as they're feeling. Um, This is a movie about characters who are trapped, right? Who are trapped within the, the public um, expectations toward them and trapped in the, um, public performance of roles that they are supposed to have um, as immigrants, as um, the working class, as spouses, as um, uh, home runners, uh, right? These are people who are, who are role-playing which is mirrored by their literal role play later in the movie when they're enacting um, how the affair must have started. But in spite of all of that, we, are able to see and understand the the like burning yearning um truth to the character beneath those performances we're able to see them both in the camera and i think that has to do almost entirely with the way that this movie is framed and staged um cody and i talked about there's one sequence in particular uh when maggie chung's character um uh, Sue goes to get noodles and they play uh, Yumiji's theme, the sort of um, landmark uh, string 
uh, theme of this movie. And it's so painful. And it's not painful in the same way as Chunking Express that these characters are at odds with their environment, that they're alienated by their environment. It's almost worse in that they're like the caged birds who sing right in this environment where they are very much a part of their environment because they have to be because they can't find uh, definitional freedom outside of those contexts. They have to fit within those contexts to be. And in spite of that, they are irregardless, these completely other people with their own sort of emotions and feelings and yearning. And those things can live at odds with one another in this movie and be portrayed perfectly because of the way that the camera shows them be imprisoned by their environment, even as they blend so perfectly with their environment, right? Like, and it's not always subtle, right? Like I think in the, in the early stages of these two characters falling for one another, they meet a lot in this rainy alleyway and the, the shot that they, that Wong Kar Wai often uses is literally the two characters talking to one another and the camera is behind a window that is barred. And so it looks like they're literally in a prison, right? So like, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of shadows. There's a lot of um, these characters inhabiting their environments, being framed by their apartments, being framed by hallways. It's a deeply claustrophobic movie in the classic Wong Kar Wai sense, which is also so intentional, right? Because like, this is a movie that he meticulously recreated 1960s Hong Kong, which was almost impossible from a production standpoint because of how much Hong Kong had changed to the point where they had to go to Bangkok to recreate some of it. They had to close, um, they had to close streets. They had to be very careful about when and where they were shooting. It was a very demanding sh- uh, shooting process. And the reason he, he does all of that, and then we still don't see 1960s Hong Kong, right? We see alleyways and we see um, restaurants and apartments and workplaces, right? And so despite the fact that he went to such a meticulous um lengths to shoot this movie the way he did we still only see interior spaces for so much of it and the reason we're doing that is so pointed and so important and it gets at that sympathy and that yearning that he's establishing um and now i've gone on for a very long time so go ahead guys sorry no i i I just want to add color to that and say like same point exactly but the my favorite manifestation of that is that like you said, it doesn't need to, or that it's not always subtle. And of course, everybody here knows it doesn't need to be, you know, like there's it's a whole better scene. for not being right. Yeah, right. It's beautiful. There's one scene. One of my favorites in the whole movie is it comes just at the beginning of the second act, uh, maybe closer to the end of the first, but um, uh, they are both at the diner drinking tea or maybe coffee together out of jade cups in the most beautifully stylized, like vinyl seats. Uh, in the world, the, the, you know, this beautiful Hong Kong diner. And they, um, they're talking about, you know, their husband and their wife, and they're just like sort of skirting around the thing that though you can tell, like there's smoldering sexual and romantic tension between them. The camera is still framing it as cut, 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 shot, reverse shot, uh, with only one of them on the screen at a time. And then suddenly she asks him, <laughs> I'm so glad the, you brought this up. Oh yeah, yeah this is the best. I wrote so this funny, man. It's beautiful. Like there's, she asks him some like question, like get to the point or like, I want to ask you a question. What are you asking? Right. And the camera, like very intentionally, instead of cutting, just pans very like, right. I think it's the only time we ever see Wong Kar Wai move the camera. Like, Oh my God. It's, it's, it's wonderful because it's like, okay, that is the heart. That's it's cut to the quick. Now, like we're in their head spaces. It's a very like blood rush moment. And then she asks him about, you know, what, 
her what his wife uh you know enjoyed about buying something at the store or whatever like it is so inconsequential that i've actually forgotten the question because it becomes like it's, then it goes back to cut reverse cut shot reverse shot because we're back in that just you know like boring tennis match i i don't know like the form that this movie takes and the way that it decides to put us in those characters heads i feel like we've said this about almost every one car Wai movie but i feel like this is just a perfection of that a distillation that i would have loved to have seen this first but at the same time i don't think i'd appreciate what he did there if i hadn't seen other versions of it. right Cody, that's, is any that's of the duality right right yeah um Really well said, uh, all three of you. First off, um, Jason, props uh, for your your tennis metaphor. Um, I, I will I will back that. I, I must I must. Uh, pod is uh, weighing in. You know, like if we're keeping track, it's uh, it's fifteen love. Hey, Ooh, hubba hubba in the mood for. Um, and I, I'm admittedly starting to get that like Roadrunner effect that Harry was talking about, just because like I. everything everything feels so like relevant uh like all the different things that that we're talking about and i'll try to do a good job of mapping out my thoughts but um i guess starting with a point that's been brought up by at least harry and jason in that uh chunking express is uh, a foundational work to view preferably before you see in the mood for love i think i I agree with that and it's you know you know, the contrast is essential and learning where Wong Kar Wai is coming from before he kind of gets to quote unquote gets to where he gets to within the mood for love feels very important. Chunking, we're, we're, we're seeing a city and these areas within the city sort of bleeding into each other um, where there's this feeling of coziness and warmth um you know we there are a lot of spaces that feel very inviting thing like places that we want to inhabit as well places that we want to be um contrasting that with the the world of in the mood for love it's instead of a, a bright and shining city you know most uh, there maybe are, are a couple shots or like a scene or two that take place during the day, but otherwise it's a very dark and rainy and uninviting city. There are people gathered where they need to get food, but otherwise it's a very segmented environment. Um, and it, it made me think of that one game that we played in a previous episode with Wong Kar Wai, that quote where he said the I think it was the one that I had like uh, editorialized or changed or whatever, but it's, you know, the... He, Wong Kar Wai wanting to tell the story of a city in the back alleyways and like where we find these two characters by the end of it, you know, it's, uh, there are places that they found themselves separately so often, but that, that scene or the, I guess one of the scenes where they finally come together, we, we see them together. The, our view of them isn't, uh, you know, obstructed by, you know, architecture or you know, social norms, you know, the, those sort of word game uh, tennis matches that, that we're talking about. We, we get to see them full on as they are together. And like, I think that's the scene where um, Chow says, uh, like, I have to leave. Uh, my planet needs me. Um, but it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's this pivot to, like in chunking this yearning, but we're seeing how they connect through a city that sort of bleeds into itself and feelings and like finding warmth that way versus yearning 
in the in in the mood for love but we're we're gonna let you sit with this loneliness we're not gonna doll it up we're literally gonna make you watch half a dozen slow motion sequences of these two characters having this like weird sort of intimate together but separate loneliness as they go about their lives in like parallel ways as they get food or eat in their like next door apartments to each other um yeah man uh I, I don't know. Uh, this this might be a perfect movie. I, I guess I did, I did, I'm trying to slam on the brakes. <laughs> so that's do you do you that's, see what I mean by by, by a splu- by a splurge cast? Like you just can't hold it. It's just gushing out. I still don't see what you mean by you a better splurge cast, it. man. Come on, brother. Uh, Harry, uh, over to you again. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I I know I raised my hand, but I I never want that to be like wrap it up. I want it to just be like I thought of something. Um, I have to do that, otherwise my my brain will um rot. Uh, you said something, Cody, about how different the city feels here. I think that's a really good entry point into discussing um the the history and political context of this movie a little bit. Um, as Aaron noted earlier, this is doubly true of me. Um, I am an ignorant uh westerner uh white boy so like a lot of the economic uh socio-political context of this movie will be lost on me um that being said i think it's important to note first of all that this is british occupied hong kong which means this is a story about people living under occupation um i think a ton of the um entrap feelings that we get out of this movie the fact that these people feel so bound by their um roles that they're forced to play the fact that they feel like they're living in the public eye and that public eye is so ever present i kept being reminded of the um biopic jackie which it which is basically a horror movie about the oh, fact oh yeah it is yeah, that that living in the public sphere eradicates the uh, private self, right? That it's that it's literally impossible to exist as a private person and uh, live the life that that Jackie Onassis had. Um, that that reminded me a lot of this in that they feel like they're living under the same issues of occupation. There, um, they are also uh, Shanghai expatriates, I believe, as of nineteen sixty uh, two or three when this movie starts. That um, that p- part of or Shanghai was undergoing an economic recession, which is perhaps why they immigrated to British Hong Kong. Um, but that is to say they are basically like fallen middle class to upper class people, right? Like they are still working white collar jobs. They're a journalist and a secretary for a large shipping company, but like strangely temporarily or permanently displaced and a little embarrassed by their economic circumstances to the point where they're subletting apartments uh, from older, more experienced Shanghai natives. And these Shanghai natives, you get the sense there's like a little bit of a resentment uh, under the surface there, right? Because they're, they're very gossipy and they're very um, attuned to the successes and failures of these people. And these people, especially Maggie Chung's character, uh, Sue, whom uh, that's where the gender politics that Aaron alluded to come in. They, they feel that like intimately, right? Where we get the sense that, that it would be like a fate worse than death for Maggie Chung's character to uh to have it out that her husband uh was having an affair not even for her husband but only for her right because of what that would suggest about who she is and 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 how she's able to operate um and we see that exemplified in the form of these 
other much more free characters, right? Like there, it's very important that in, in the work context that both of these characters inhabit, there are other secondary characters who are having affairs and who are very, um, unsubtle and, um, uh, like not who, who pursue those, um, affairs with a high degree of nonchalance, right? Where, um, at, at his journalism job, Chow's um, sort of coworker talks all the time about how he sleeps around and how he visits brothels, and that's not a big deal to him at all. Um, Sue, Maggie Chung's character, actually facilitates the affair of her boss um, because she's his secretary, and so she's like, "Okay, make sure you're wearing this tie." And like, when you when I buy you a gift for your mistress, do you want the purse to be in a different color, sir? And she's and he says, "Oh, it doesn't matter." Um, that's actually how she finds out that her husband is having an affair. Is the same sort of thing happens to her. But these are people who are deeply bound by um, oppressive circumstances, right? And it's an, it's an oppressive circumstance of an entirely different context than that of Chunking Express, where the oppressive circumstances is a kind of, um, terrible alienation facilitated by technology and facilitated by, um, like labor alienation and, um, just modernity. This is an oppression that is, that is much more material and a lot more in your face, right? In the sense that these are people of limit, like deeply limited means who can't express themselves the way they want to, and instead have to express themselves differently. And the fact that they so forcefully have to express themselves in these contexts, it only makes the burning that we see of their characters, true selves, even more fervent, right? Where like when you, when you see Maggie Chung's character wearing, um, these, these unbelievable dresses, the, uh, um, shit, I can't remember what they're called now, but they're, is it, uh, a, is it called a chunk Sam? Uh, it is in, in Cantonese, right? It's a chunk Sam. It's something else in, um, uh, it's a, uh, Quipo in, uh, Mandarin, I believe. Um, it's a, a Manchu origin dress. It's the dress that you associate with, uh, Maggie Chung because spoilers, she looks better than any human being has ever looked, uh, in, history in this movie uh I'll second that yeah because of that um and it's like it's like even that is intentional right like even the fact that these characters look like this is symbolic of how they like wish to be right where where it's like it's like they're they're the most hyper exaggerated versions of people in love um but i've gone on long enough uh aaron go ahead i think we're 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 selling tony lung here a little short i mean guy he is guy he looks, is the male maggie chung which is which is the highest compliment that that one can receive right yeah when when wearing when wearing like male fashion especially like for some sort of like a work context it, there's nothing more annoying than trying to look good while wearing a button-up shirt with a tie without a jacket it's like one of those things where it's like, if this is not fitting exactly right, if I don't tuck, if I, if I like bend over a little too far and it untucks, there's just, I'm just not going to be able to fix it for like three hours. One of the most annoying things to do. And he, uh, he kills it. He looks good in every single scene. I was oh, yeah. like looking at him like, ah, maybe I should find a reason to wear it. There's no reason it's quarantine. There's no reason for me to wear a button up shirt and tie, but it did make me go like, I would kind of like to wear a tie. I don't know. He's, he's looking real good. Yeah, these are these are the two most attractive people maybe in history, right? Like it's it's yeah. a wild how good both of these people look in this movie. Yeah. Uh, also, kind of tying a, a little bit on what Harry said, two very minor observations that are absolutely not uh, not like big points. I will be able to extrapolate into some sort of uh, anything intelligent here. But like the first thing tying into what you said, I think that the one of like the most telling lines in the film is when uh, Maggie Chung is uh, being kind of like 
I don't know, kind of like lectured by her her landlord, her female, uh, very much so, yeah, woman that she's renting from, and essentially she the the, the landlord is picking up that uh, her husband is probably having an affair, and her advice is to uh, in the future, she says in the future don't let your husband travel as much, like that's the advice. Like there are there are so many like. Uh, cultural standards that you need to adhere to. Uh, and like, if you are in a bad place in life, or even if you're not the one actually doing anything wrong, like you're just kind of screwed because of the fact that, that you are a woman in this society. Uh, I think that that was pretty telling also like it is wild. And this is not just a Hong Kong thing. This totally watch like Mad Men, the same thing happens, but like it is wild that secretaries used to buy their bosses gifts for their wives. I was just watching that. I was like, that is the fucking weirdest thing in the world to me. That their, like, wives, their wives and their mistresses. Well, yes. That, okay. That is even weirder. Good point. But it's just so I can't, the, the thought of like asking somebody like, yeah, could you, could, you, could you buy my fiance a gift for me is so fucking <laughs> weird for some reason. I don't know. I, I thought, I thought that was interesting. Well, I mean, it, it seems a little bit antithetical to the idea of having an actual relationship with somebody, right? It's like the, like the idea of a gift. <laughs> Right. Gifts are the thing where it's like, hey, you, you mentioned three weeks ago you liked that thing. I will get you that thing. And it's like, yeah, Sue, could you just go buy a scarf down at Macy's uh, for my wife, please? We, we, by the way, it is, her, it is her birthday today, and I have not thought about it. Yeah, it's sort of getting at – and I don't know if there's any meat on this bone, but I wanted to bring it up. Um, like the – I don't remember in any other Wong Kar Wai movie uh, there being this big like a focus on a f- on things as like – not elements of the plot specifically so much as like excuses to see each other. I mean, it's a classic trope, right? Like, Oh, we're writing a, you know, a, a serial novel together and that's how they end up stuck together. That's the for move, an by the way. Yeah. Right. He, he right. uses also, my move. <laughs> also that guy like, that one? Oh, I, 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 we're having this podcast right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm writing it. Yeah. You collaborate on this thing, and then we'll be friends for years. I'm, I'm, I've been writing a bit of freelance games journalism on Skies of Arcadia Legends. Uh, do you think you want to come on over? Just uh, be my <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it's the ultimate. Like it should be the ultimate. That specific scene. Now that we're on it, um, where he invites her over to write uh uh serial with him and they end up like not finishing it and she's caught there because uh Mrs. Ku ends up getting home early and they have and they play games all night. But um that's that should be the ultimate like dot 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 unless moment. But it's not because he's just like you gotta get out of here, right? Like do you want to take a nap? I can get you some noodles. <laughs> that's that's the other very funny thing is that like you know like we said it's not subtle. Like this movie keeps putting them in the like Oh, like there's a snowstorm and we're stuck at the hotel, but there's only one bed. Like fucking fanfic scenarios for these two, oh, yeah, no. for these two characters. But then just not consummating on it, just to like drive you insane. It's like Blue Balls the movie, this movie. Uh, but like the the notion of there being things that are bringing people together that are excuses for bringing people together. It's like part of that larger overall, like Harry was mentioning the like sort of uh, distance and separation that these people feel at playing their roles, you know, um, as neighbors, as uh, you know, as not lovers, as people who pass in the hallway, like that objects and things and property being used as such specific elements of the plot is not something I picked up on in other Wong Kar Wai movies. I know that they're there and that there's a lot of symbolism to the things and, you know, props that are brought on a set, 
but um you know it, it doesn't feel like there's that moment of you know maggie chung has a great development moment where she talks about how uh you know like a woman would notice the detail of the, that you're missing here about you know um a about a scarf that i bought for you to give to your to your wife uh, when, you know. when she when she burns her boss's ass so bad where she says <laughs> oh you notice things if you pay attention to them <laughs> it is it's like it's an incredible own moment but like is that something that that has any reason or weight in here, or is it just literally these things that they're like the excuses that they give for being together? Um, because I, I don't know, it just felt like it stood out more in this movie. Maybe it's just because like homesteading includes, you know, borrowing books and uh, making each other food and stuff. But I don't know if it's, if there's anything more to that. I, I think there is um, what I, I, I guess the umbrella that I placed it under and would kind of place it under now i i think going about it from that angle is probably like a a better more accurate way to go i kind of chalked it up to the navigating the the social niceties you know this you know we've talked about the various like means in which these characters are navigating through the world the various obstacles you know the literal architecture uh you know blocking our view of these characters and like kind of you know impeding their own ability to uh i guess get to one another um you could kind of say that about the city as well there are like social hurdles as well and like getting a tangible reason to do something um and you kind of get that when they are trapped in that room together you know the sort of like the re the reason for me being here like there needs to be a certain reason people need to be seen or not seen in these certain windows in order for things to remain status quo you know so they're they're waiting for that i i guess that's sort of what i chalked it up to i i think there is meat on that bone um as you as you put it um and and like the same flavor of that again that that diner scene where they're talking about or they're they're kind of tiptoeing around the fact that yeah they're both being cheated on by each other's spouses is like something similar it kind of gets away from that tangible uh object part of it but the the sort of you know we need to check the boxes because we're living in the world yeah yeah exactly We, we need to check certain boxes um and abide by you know whatever excuse it is or whatever like social convention this is in order to like have a conversation with each other because that's the world we live in and then eventually you know we see those um i'm mixing up my metaphors in my brain but eventually those those fall to the wayside you know those walls come down gradually so to speak um, I th- I think that I I think you're both getting at something. I think I would maybe define it a little bit differently, and that I, I think that what Wong Kar Wai is really getting at here, and and what I would what I'd say he's he's been kind of getting at uh, in in most of his films is the the nature of of kind of daily repetitions, right? And how those daily repetitions are often room for uh, uh, kind of improvisation or, or branching out, right? Um, and how something that yeah. may seem mundane and kind of everyday uh, can be something other than that uh, if if people are, uh, you know, attracted to each other, right? Um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the multiple scenes of the two characters passing each other on a stairway, right? Going down to get noodles, right? And it's like, if if I if I was a, a woman who was attracted to a man and I know that the man was going down to buy noodles for dinner every day, I might uh, also uh, go down to get noodles every day. And when I did it, I might dress kind of nicely. 
Um, and so su such like a simple thing becomes something greater. Uh, I think that he's done this in so many of his films. I think that uh, uh, Days of Being Wild is probably a big example with the repetition of uh, the, the male character in that uh, kind of going downstairs and talking to uh, Maggie Chung's character, I believe. Yes, Maggie Chung's character uh, as yep. she is kind of the... Uh, you know, the attendant of like a, a beverage stand, right? And and remember that 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 character explicitly um, colonizes time, right? He he yes. tells her, he marks it out, and he says, "I'm going to make this 60 second special, and then it always will be to you." We see the like the non um, forced version of that here, right? Like you had said, yeah. And and also in Chungking Express, right? The idea of this cop going to order the same thing at this restaurant, right? And that this this woman who is there kind of provides a reason for him to order something different, for him to try something else uh, in his life. I think that Wong Kar Wai is, is very much uh, interested in how people take something that is routine, which is uh, uh, commercialized, which is maybe even boring. And due to an attraction they have for someone else or an interest they have in another person, they can use those opportunities over and over again to, to make them something greater. Uh, I think that, that that's kind of what this, this movie's, I, th I think that that's kind of what this movie's about in my mind, I guess. Really beautifully stated, Aaron. I just wanted to add a couple of things, which is, um, first of all, the sort of like one of the biggest lines of this movie, one of the log lines is that uh, Tony Leung's character says feelings can just creep up like that. Right. He says, like, oh, I, I couldn't understand how the affair could happen. Now I understand feelings can just creep up like that. And that's totally what that is. Right. Like, particularly in the first and second acts of this movie, we see these people's spaces transform as their feelings transform, right? We literally get to see through their eyes how they come to see themselves and their lives and the world and stories that they're living um, transform by their feelings for one another. And that is that is the intersection that I was talking about between sort of like love and personal identity and what that does is that Wong Kar Wai is making the statement about how like love is transformative in the sense that it doesn't just transform the way you think about another person, it transforms the way you think about yourself and the way you think about the whole world around you, right? The whole story that, that was built up there. Go ahead, Aaron. What were you saying? I was just going to say, uh, fucking Chow, Chow Mo Wan rented another apartment just yeah. so he could not have sex with this woman. Like that, right. my man is thirsty, you know? Dudes who are, dudes who are down bad, for sure. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he is a journalist, so he's literally a journalist down bad. <laughs> Well, I, I was going to say the other thing about about materiality in this movie is sort of um, getting at something we talked about in the hand, right? Which is that like these these barriers that that prevent these people, they're not incidental, right? Like they are they are deeply material and they're deeply historical and contextual to a very specific place in time, which is how making them transcendentally um, universal the way he does in this movie it makes so much sense because people are both so contextually bound and so transcendentally universal where like the fundamental things apply as time goes by. Right. Where like, like, um, and I'm getting a little bit ahead to my thesis on the movie, but like the movie holds both of those things together, right? Like these are people who are both completely bound and who have these universal expressions, right? Like, um, Aaron had said that that transformative effect 
that um, love can impart on people, it's always there. And there's always the inner self, the self that is, the self that we actually see these people as because they're portrayed by Maggie Chun and Tony uh, Leung and they look the way they do and they feel the way they do so obviously. And the people that they're forced to be to inhabit the spaces that they inhabit, the tension and the yearning that is created between both of those realities is what like, in my mind, all of Wong Kar Wai's movies are about and like what this movie is about more than ever. Um, and while I was... Um, like vamping, I thought of the other thing I was going to say, which is that um, Roger Ebert wrote a decent review of this movie. He did give it three stars, so it's he can go fuck. It's a gr- it is a great. You don't like the score. His review is very good. It's a good review. Uh, he can go fuck himself for the score. But <laughs> I, I knew that you had read the review when you talked about the repetitions, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. No, because I, he's- I, I actually did not. That was not something I took from his review, I don't think. Oh, that's great, because uh, he he does say in that that uh, lovers don't care that they're repeating themselves. They're not repetitions anyway. They're reassurances. And that's, like, so much what this movie is about, right? Is that, like, these are characters who are, who are role-playing, literally, which I want to talk about more, um, until it becomes something that has within that which passeth show, right? Where, like, their their feelings develop that way. And in the process they're able to understand themselves differently only for it to be sort of too late. Right. Um, or not too late, but, but to be bound and to understand why the cage bird sings for the first time. Um, and, uh, I think that you articulated that very well, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, I was going to say that while we're, while we're talking about transforming spaces, I think that unless anybody disagrees, I think, Oh, I know. I I think I know what's coming. I think I know what's coming. What's that on the horizon. (gasps) Is it a bit? My God. Uh, it's, it's a bit. Not. It's a joke. No. <laughs> My uh, God, is that the apartment index's music? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the Aaron Grossman Wong Kar Wai Film Department Quality Index's music, uh, as this is the bit we call the Aaron Grossman Wong Kar Wai Film Department Quality Index. Uh, the bit in which uh, I uh, try and be a little funny and mostly fail at it, but also try and look at uh, the usage of, uh, I guess, generally apartments, but also like interior spaces. Uh, in Wong Kar Wai's films. Uh, now, again, this is uh, not technically the hand is going to come out after this episode, but, uh, you know, we've looked and generally kind of talked about how apartments have uh, kind of changed, right? We've gone from uh, looking at uh, people who generally uh, have just messy, dirty as hell apartments uh, from, say, for example, as tears go by, all the way up to actually pretty nice looking places uh, in in the hand, for example. Spoilers for that episode. Uh, I think Fallen Angels. That apartment was pretty good. Days of Being Wild. Um, this apartment is is kind of interesting, right? Because this film is uh, focused on kind of two main characters, and I would argue that uh, Chow's apartment is definitely shown more than Su Li Zhen. So, would anybody disagree with that? Do we ever see the interior of her apartment? We we see yeah very briefly she's like through the door right yeah through the door and then also she's like she's like cooking she's like at the rice maker right which is not like her room but is like you know the shared common space oh right and at the very end of the movie when she when she takes the hand of that impossibly old child that she has (laughs) that thirty seven year old man yeah what's up with that that kid is that her kid he's like twelve years old and I'm this is a whole ton of sense from like a. Yeah, maybe she maybe she adopted. There's a thing that you did not. I guess. Consider. 
uh, yes, but um, you know, from a uh, uh, filmmaking standpoint, I think a lot of the interesting aspects of this film come from the characters' proximity, and I think the structure of their apartments complements this. Right, the the fact that they're right next to each other, kind of pressing up against each other, but still separated by a wall. Um, I do think that Chow's apartment is, uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, kind of nice looking. Right, it's it's colorful in the manner that we've seen uh, other apartments in Wong Kar Wai's films. Um, I personally gave this a six, which I know sounds a little low, but I think that we are, uh, frankly, we're not given a whole ton of space, uh, uh, or a a whole kind of a a ton of shots to which to really, uh, kind of map out the space in Chow's apartment. However, I would like to say, as this is maybe the last one of these I'm going to do, we're not sure, uh, that although all of the apartments we've talked about so far in this series uh, are not perfect. Uh, I think that Wong Kar Wai's usage of personal space is perfect and is in- integral to these films. So I give uh, his usage of apartments in his movies a ten out of ten. Uh, I think. Oh, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for the first ten of it. Ten out of ten. I don't think. I don't know if that counts, but it's like, it's a like gentleman's gave, ten. Uh, it's like when they gave. I don't know who was. It's like when they gave. Uh, it's like when they gave Scorsese uh, best. Or any Ennio Morricone yeah, when right. they, when they gave him like the uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, I, look. Just we, give him the fucking we, Oscar, you know. We may watch twenty forty six. We may watch other. I, I'm willing to keep it open. I'm just saying that uh, in general, I think that living spaces in his films represent the ways in which we portray ourselves to the outside world. I think Damn. we invite someone for any reason to our house or our apartment or wherever, uh, whether to have sex or not. This doesn't necessarily represent <laughs> letting someone in as our apartment. Uh, I think Wong Kar Wai believes that apartments and living spaces are sometimes just another extension of the persona that we show to others in public. Um, and I think it's as problematic as the statement may be, uh, so please take it in the best manner. I think Wong Kar Wai seems to be saying that the only way to truly know someone may to be to kind of personally intrude on who they are, right? Is to yep. look at what they throw away and dispose of, what they clean up when, when nobody's around to hide from others, and the things that they do when they're alone and no one is watching. Um, what they scream into a hole in a wall before filling it with mud. That's exactly right, Jason. Uh, so in that manner, I think that Wong Kar Wai has done a great job of showing how uh, a living space that we personally design for ourselves in order to live can often uh, act as the exact opposite. And uh, I think that's great. Good, good job, Wong Kar Wai. Really beautifully said, Aaron. Yeah, um, good job, Aaron. Two things to add. Uh, the first thing, it's it's not just intrude, right? It's also like colonize in in some sense, right? Like it's it's not just Fei Wong breaking into the apartment. It's also her rearranging the furniture. Um, that happens repeatedly. Um, it's uh, the handler breaking into the apartment and masturbating on the sheets, right? It's it's like to to get to know somebody, you also have to be a part of their life. You have to like change them. You have to like like. Um, infect them in some sense. It's like a very much a um, sexual metaphor, right? Um, and uh, very Wong Kar Wai. Uh, and then the other thing is, what about Apartment 2046? Um, the apartment that that uh, Tony Lung's character yeah. Chow buys is that what's what? Where does that fall on the index? Frankly, that would probably be lower because that is such it, it is such a simp move to rent out an entire. I mean, is it an apartment or a hotel room? I think it's an apartment. Okay, it, it is just a, it is a very large, uh, and I say this w- w- in, a, in a very uh, you know lighthearted manner. is a very big simp move to rent an apartment uh, solely to see uh, somebody else and then uh, not sleep with them. Uh, She's Maggie Chung, bro. What do you like? What do you want? <laughs> 
also he goes he goes there. What I want them to do. Yeah, yeah. He, he goes there to write kung fu serials with uh with Maggie Chung, okay, which is so funny. Extra for that. So yeah, I'll give it a five. I think. Also, uh, even that is is symbolic, right? Because like you kind of get the sense that they don't necessarily like they grew up with kung fu serials. They might not be what they want to write, but they're what sells. Like they're they're just these like these funny like um cartoon basically like adventure stories that they're writing together. I do. I do dislike that that aspect of this film and that it is very much, uh, I mean, with all the weird comparisons to like how this movie would, would be, uh, made if it was like a Hollywood, uh, production. I think that that is one aspect that is like, does feel very Hollywood that like the male main character is just like, I've always wanted to write comic books. And then the female character is like, you should really do it. And then it like takes it. It's like that happens in big, doesn't it? Don't, don't take this away from me. This is the, this is the dream. I'm just saying, like in a in a in a not better in a slightly more realistic movie, it'd be like I'm making comic books, and it's like no one bought my fucking comic books, and then it's not a source of income or anything, and uh, uh, he he fails. Anyway, uh, that's pessimistic, I guess. I apologize for that. I know that we're we're coming up on time. There are still more things I want to talk about with this movie, uh, guys. How how are we feeling? Yeah, do it, dude. Do it. Is that a threat? Yeah. I want to talk about the role playing some more uh, with all of you. I want to get your takes on on the fact that, like, particularly in the second act of this movie, once the um, stakes are established, the way these characters become close with one another is by reenacting the possibility of how their um, spouse's affair might have started. Right. Which is another one of my favorite scenes is the first time they do that because they're saying things that ostensibly could be like and it marries with Wong Kar Wai's style, like the more traditionally Wong Kar Wai style of displacing you intentionally in a scene to where you're not exactly sh- like, you don't have much of a, of a grip on like what's being said or why, or the context, or what was just said that leads into the, you know, this part of the conversation. And it uses that perfectly in that scene where they are theorizing about how their spouses could have, you know, how it could have begun between them. But they're saying things that are very much like, like they themselves in that moment could be saying those things earnestly to one another or like, you know, hitting on one another. He, she's sort of like, you know, gesturing lightly toward his midriff and he's like, you know, reaching out to her and grabbing her arm and asking you know, her to, you know, uh, get away from here with him. I, I love how that is like already Wong Kar Wai is showing us like something of a betrayal of their roles by showing us that they're coming closer together. And then on top of that, it's like, okay, so they've, they're playing roles within the roles that they're playing. And we're going to betray both of those at the same time before the viewer. So that by the end of the scene, you understand what's going on. But in the middle, like you're just dropped in media right, race right. in the middle of a scene that started, you know, 35 seconds ago. I love that. They don't, they don't ever introduce that. That's what they're doing. Right. Like there, there's just this, this moment of seduction and you're like, wait, is this actually happening? And then of course it, it's not because they're actually just role-playing and they talk about how we're not going to be like them. Right. They have all of this pride that's wrapped up in this idea that they're not going to do this, even though they're, they're enacting it. And as they enact it, it's so clear to all of us that, that this is a, a um, medium for them to start start to sort of like have a comfortable, um, stakeless place to um, role play their real emotions for one another and start to sort of like feel these things again. Um, Aaron, what did you want to say about that? Did anybody read the the Wong Kar Wai quote? It's on Wikipedia, but it's it's about the comparison to Hitchcock's Vertigo. Uh, specifically, uh, Tony Lung's character comparison uh, compared to James Stewart's Wild. It, it, okay, it now I didn't even read that. It honestly is like 
uh, I think this is a very good movie. I think it might be a kind of a large thorn in my side when I when I think about it, and that I think that the I'm, this is kind of a long quote. I'll, I'll try and like summarize here, but he says. Um, the role of Tony in the film reminds me of Jimmy Stewart's in Vertigo. There's a dark side to this character. I think it's very interesting that most of the audience prefers to think that this is a very innocent relationship. These are the good guys because their spouses are the first ones to be unfaithful and they refuse to be. Nobody sees any darkness in these characters, and yet they are meeting in secret to act out fictitious scenarios of confronting their spouses and of having an affair. I think this is because the face of Tony Lung is so sympathetic. Uh, and he says, just imagine if it was John Malkovich, for example, you'd say that that guy's really weird. It's the same in Vertigo. Everybody thinks thinks James Stewart is a nice guy. So nobody thinks that his character is actually very sick. Mm. I think that that is a terrible reading of this movie that is, is yeah, that fucking kind of sucks. Annoying. Uh, they, they are sympathetic characters. They're totally They're sympathetic. sympathetic. Yeah. And, and yeah, also that, like nobody thinks if you watch Vertigo and you come away thinking, Oh, James Stewart, what a good guy. What a good and not sick human being. You should rewatch Vertigo. I mean, you're, you are correct. I think that he is referring to that. A lot of people watch that movie. Yeah. Right. They're yeah, they're misapprehensions yeah. of it. But yes, I think that that, that is a weird misreading of his own characters in a weird way. I, I like, this isn't, this isn't like blue velvet. Like these aren't, you know, like, no. I don't, the, it feels like his own impression. Who cares? You know, feel free, death the author, whatever you want to say. I mean, but- I think if I if I can make my own sort of like, if I can stick up for, like, there's a lot of pride, I guess, maybe meaningless pride, if, if you want to be like very, um, like, callous about the actual material circumstances of these characters. There is a reading of these characters that's like, why won't they just get together already? Um, and a not a non-trivial amount of that is the pride of um, both Maggie Chung and Sue and Chow, right? I guess. But I think that is, that is, if anything, more sympathetic to them based that, you know, that is based on the uh, situation that they are living in due to the culture around them. Right. Uh, That's what I would say, which is why like, like to right. So I don't, I don't know. Just bugged the shit out. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a very good quote. It isn't. I wonder if, if in issuing that quote, if in like seeing the perception of his own movie that way, if he's sort of like trying to get ahead a little bit of how uh, Western audiences, I say Western audiences as if like maybe maybe Eastern audiences can't really understand it that way. But anyway, I feel like maybe he's being a little more maybe cynical is the word, but slightly like ahead of criticism and slightly ahead of discourse around his own movie because like factually the movie is showing us how uh, sympathetic and how meek and how much it's like just kiss now like are you two going to fall in love to a moment like there's i didn't get a vibe of like they're the good guys or the bad guys or they got one over on their spouses or their spouses got ones over on them and like they're justified in what they're doing like i see a lot of struggle there i see a lot of meekness i see a lot of apprehension that endears me to both of them because like you recognize that as a human you recognize that you're not exactly sure of your feelings all of the time that you're not viewing your dissolving marriage uh and your increasing relationship with another person as as like two halves of the same whole you're seeing this almost as two different things I, I, I don't well, know. Just I, like, like breakups are so hard, right? Like I, yeah. so much of this is like Maggie Chung will have to discard the role that she has, that has given her a contextual societal value, right? M- like much more so than um, Tony Leung's character because his character is a man. So like, like her, like choosing to dissolve this marriage to, to see it as over is also choosing to, in a real sense, die a death, the death of the person that she was. And it's that's a scary thing to do. 
Um, and it's a, it's a thing that, that might even create some resentment towards Chow for making her feel these other feelings. And Chow might feel the same way towards her, um, which, which is what makes this, this relationship so fraught and what makes the role playing such a important element of insulation from that fear, right? It, it, it gives them this, this veneer of um, artifice that they can pursue their emotions through much the same way they pursue um, identity and uh, constructive um, like role within um, society in, in performative ways um, because that's, that's how they have to do it. So it, it makes a sort of emotional sense that they would pursue it this way. Um, I guess if I, if I want to generate another argument for Wong Kar Wai um, and maybe this is, this is all way too much um, bringing in uh, things outside the text, but like, I almost wonder if he didn't want this movie to be interpreted as twee because like, I feel like that is sort of a, um, a dark undercurrent to the way a lot of Wong Kar Wai's movies are treated is that there's like a little bit of like fetishism, like Oriental fetishism happening with it. Right. Where like, there's almost a, like a Wes Andersonification of Wong Kar Wai's movies, particularly Chungking Express, where it's just like, these are like cute Asian people like doing like, isn't it, isn't it fascinating to watch them behave this way? And like, I wonder if he was trying to, if he was like, like objecting to that sort of reading and being like, no, no, look like these are, these are frustrated, horny, like backward, angry people, not just like cutesy people falling in love. Like these are people who are afraid of losing their jobs, losing their identities and like who love and hate in almost equal measure. Right. And like, I, I, I guess reading it that way, I can understand some of his frustration. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the twee point is kind of interesting because I, I do, I do think that like a ton of indie films just like took a ton of shit from the Mm -hmm. movie. Right. Um, I, I remember reading just like a, a forum post where somebody was making fun of a, I think a a Jason uh, Siegel movie, uh, by saying it's the kind of movie where a guy uh, like drinks uh, like a beer while sitting on the edge of a bathtub. And I just like have that image in my mind whenever I think of like just kind of dog shit like 2011, 2012 indie movies where it's just like a scene where a guy slides down a wall when he's sad, you know. Um, there, there's that uh, safety not guaranteed where like the the main one of the main characters like literally just like drunkenly go-karts and it's supposed to be yeah. like sad and symbolic, but it's like shut the fuck up. It is like the worst like American perversion of like what Wong Kar Wai is very effectively doing here in a exactly. way. Exactly. Um, so yes, I, I understand that point. Yeah. I, I am sympathetic to, uh, Wong Kar Wai, uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. One of my final notes is that it's nice to have the cap to the days of being wild ending that we were all thrown by, uh, in that this is the spiritual sequel said to be to days of being wild and features Tony Lung Chu Wai as the same character that he portrays in the final scene there where there's a gambler right. who's getting ready for big night out. Uh, that's him, uh, same, same supposed like character or archetype with same name uh, and then continued in 2046, which who knows if we'll have an episode of that. Uh, but thought that was a fun, fun cap. Uh, um, let's see. Yeah. I'm, you, I'm really interested in, yeah. In discussing the final act, I guess there, there are a series of very interesting scenes. There's a, there's a time jump, right? Um, Cody, I wanted to talk about, you had made a point early on about the sort of uh, 
playful temporality of this movie, how, how things may not be always what they seem and, and how like, especially at the end there we're we're kind of playing with, with moments in time where like they're in um, Cambodia in 1968 at the end of this movie. Um, and they very briefly return to the apartments much later. There's that great, um, interstitial cutaway where it says like that time is gone all of the things that belong to it don't exist anymore um what did you make of all of the uh temporal playfulness Uh, and especially like uh we had talked about once there's that there's that incredible like david lynch shot when maggie chung is thinking about how she could have should have gone to um cambodia with uh tony leung's character and she thinks about uh the hallway outside of uh 2046 and the curtains are wafting like like she's in the fucking um black lodge yeah the red curtains did make me think of that yes technically not the black lodge the red room is fine yeah i know it's the okay oh you brought it up man you're right no you're right you know continue now continue You, you two okay? Need to need to hash anything else out? Or no, we're we're good. At it, he went to Singapore and then later went to Canada. Yes, yes. Thank you. I'm sorry. He did take a job in Singapore. Uh, he did take a job in Singapore. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to. It's. Uh, yeah. We discussed that earlier today. I'm. Uh. I'll jog my memory. Um. I'm admittedly a little sleepy and a little cold. Shout out to my landlords. Um. But I. I the. Thing, and I guess I didn't anticipate bringing this up, but the whole like the movie trains you on that temporality, right? The um, kind of early on uh, the I don't want to say cutting the fat because that's not really what the movie's doing, but we're we're cutting in such a way where you know we might get two identical scenes of like Chow going to uh, Sue's door, vice versa, to like get into this pattern of okay, this is this specific passage of time that that we're dealing with. Um, and uh, it, there are other ways in which the movie kind of plays with that. Um, as we get into the final act, we're, I guess we're trained to feel this sort of comfortability with, with cutting. And I guess we do have the inner titles as well, but like we're, we're cutting straight to, to the hard parts. And I think that's why that final act hits so hard. And it get, gets back to that thing I was uh, talking about earlier where we're cutting around uh, and I guess avoiding looking at these characters directly so that when we do get uh, Maggie Chung's face, when like she realizes she's too late, like that, like that shot in itself could be the entire final act of the mm-hmm. movie. Um, like we, we almost uh, and like granted, we we do get the nice bits later on about the the sort of inhabiting of Chow's uh other uh, apartment that's sort of like you know is there a ghost in my house and it's she know, becomes like a phantom whole... in the last exactly. act of this movie it's wild right and i think that's i guess that's another interesting way uh, i'm trying to avoid using the word interesting but like the the temporality like at, at that point i remember the first time i saw it too i was just like i i know what's happening here i know who this ghost is and i know that if we like wait for like the cuts will show us like exactly what we want to see. Like, like we, we see him, he's, he notices what the slippers are missing and there's a cigarette on the ashtray. Even if we don't get that scene with Maggie Chung, like doing those exact movements, we would have known exactly what led to that. And I I can't help but feel like the, like the movies training us of not only what to expect with the cuts, but like, uh, uh, preparing us for the 
two people that we will see <laughs> with each and every scene because we're tethered to these people so thoroughly. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling at this point, but hopefully that gets to to some. Yeah, no that that um that explains it really well. I really like your your, your use of the word training because it's like the the last act of this movie is so masterful because it almost eschews like like um conventional narrative temporal progression entirely and we enter this like radical emotive space where it's like is maggie chung's character even corporeal in the in the final act of this movie is she in singapore like did she did she uh take the ticket and go with him afterwards did she actually go to that apartment and and stand outside is she actually behind the door with that kid and he just didn't knock is she there with him or is she not does it matter right like we see exactly what he is feeling depicted on the in the camera within the frame of the camera to the point where maggie chung's character um uh yeah sue she she becomes like a phantom that's haunting him right where like you said the the slippers are there and then they're gone and there's this uh cigarette there and then it's gone and is she on the other side of the door is like you get the sense to this guy that like like maggie chung is on the other side of every single door from here until the end of time all of the ones that he doesn't open and like we we feel that even like, and, and he doesn't have to say that, which is what makes the culmination at, um, Angkor Wat, like maybe my favorite movie ending, uh, ever. Um, Oh, also it's interesting. There is a, there's an alternative cut, um, of this movie where they do meet one more time and they meet at Angkor Wat, which is, which is interesting because like it lends some actual context to why this final scene takes place in a different country than the rest of the movie had taken place in, uh, and why he's there. And like, she's like on a tour with like her husband's family and like they have this brief conversation. Um, you should check it out. I think it's on the criterion collection. It's wild to see, but it was ultimately cut from the rest of this movie. So we get this amazing scene where uh, Tony Leung's character is talking to his, uh, his former work coworker. And he says that in the olden days, when somebody had a secret, they would go to the top of a mountain, they would hollow out, they would find a tree hollow and they would whisper their secret into the tree. And then they would fill that hollow with mud and they would leave the secret there. And then we see him do that at Angkor Wat, which is like this ancient um, first Hindu and then Buddhist temple. And we see him whisper his secret. And even then we see a monk looking at him like he can't escape the public sphere, even when he's in this ancient place. And then the last shots of this movie are not of either of our characters they're of like history itself right it's like we we get these shots of angkor wat and we get this sense of of how it was built and we we start to wonder at least i started to wonder as the the sun sinks and and angkor wat shines sort of like blue in in the um the gloom of evening like what other secrets are buried here right like what other secrets built this monument and like this this deeply human ancient monument that's built of all of these other people's longing it's like i don't know like by the end of this movie i think that that Wong Kar Wai has like established this like this like very mature very realized thesis that like that is what it means to be human is to like to inhabit this time in this place and to have to behave in certain ways and to know that that's not who you are and to know that you're something else and that you love someone else and that 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 love is who you really are and that all of these things are in the way and that tension is what built 
humanity and it is what it means to be a human right that's what it means to be in the mood for love and it's like holy fucking shit like that like you just explained what it what it is to be a human being in like 90 minutes right it's wild i this is like one of the best movies ever made in my opinion jesus christ i think that's the twitter clip uh somewhere in there um it's very excited so sorry to uh the people listening to just that clip um i i guess the the only thing i'll tack on um your your description of the ending and that was maybe the one thing in my initial watch of this movie that i wouldn't say that i didn't like it it just sat with me a little bit differently and that's maybe the my favorite thing that i got from happy together coming into this rewatch is like similarly with happy together the the whole uh like tony lung's character's not necessarily arc but what his his intended endpoint it is to get to Iguazu Falls and the final scene or I think like shot of that movie is just like shots of the falls for like a minute or two as if to say like you know you know this is this is the ends of the earth he's made it and like we're gonna take this in before like concluding this journey and I think the way you characterized um this you know this this mountain this like you said like the the resting ground for so many secrets and hopes and dreams including chow's like like this is the the final resting place for like you know here lies squidward's hopes and dreams um (laughs) and uh, and everything he sees is blurred and indistinct right that's how the whole movie exactly that log line and and it's like it's because uh he for a moment it it snuck up on him and he could see the world and he could see who he wanted to be and if if sue was there with him he could have seen Angkor wat for for what it was right and he could have seen himself for what it was but instead he has to live with the idea that it will never be and that yearning the space between what could have been who he could have been and what is is that that distance is what it means to be human is what it means to be a person. And it's, it's so wild that like this movie, in my opinion, for being set in the sixties and like for being so hyper-focused on materiality and um, specific circumstances of these people in this place and this time that only serves to make the themes more universal, right? The suggestion being that like, there's always going to be that. Like there, there's always going to be the person you're forced to be in one way or another, whether it's because you're an expatriate in Shanghai or what, right? And it's always going to be there and there's always going to be something else and maybe you'll notice it. And like, it's, you know, I, I think that like, it's, it's a really great culmination of like all of the great romance movies. Like when I think of Moonstruck or when I think of his motorbike, her Island, I like, I think about how romance is so much about that. It's about like the moments of, understanding yourself and of like like real like self actualization um and how impossible that is in the in the long term uh this movie does a really great job with it and like it it becomes like one of the the great romance movies of all time because of it in my opinion agreed agreed like i said it's a five stars for me babies uh i think unless anybody has any other thoughts i think we're ready to get to our final segment all I'm right. at I'm at last ready. I think yes. Excellent. Then Harry, you need to uh, help me welcome this next segment of ours. I would love to, Jason. It is a segment that we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Yeah, thank you as always for the 
lovely introduction, gentlemen. I'm saying that slowly so I can get my Word document up. Um, we're just going to uh, point out you had so much time to get ready for that. Yeah, but I well, I need to unmute in. I only have one screen up, so I got to unmute and then I got to get the look. It's a whole thing. Um, shut up. Also, okay. Uh, you sneaky. Um, we're nearing the end of our one car watch, uh, sad as it is to say. Um, and because of that sense of finality that looms over us, it seems fitting that we participate in something that in its own way looks back fondly at the films we've discussed these past several weeks beyond the <laughs> discussion that we just had. Uh, if not, you know, all of the films, then perhaps we can point out at least a specific few. Um, for example, those uh, those films that are graced with the presence of Wong Kar Wai's most frequent on-screen collaborator, I believe, Tony Lung Chu Wai. Um, so today, we're going to attempt to connect the characters that Tony Lung Chu Wai brought to life, uh, has brought to life rather, with our own lifestyles, uh, experiences, and preferences using a deduction method I like to refer to as the Nodi's approved Tony Lung Chu Wai alignment of character report, AKA the Natal Quacker. Um, that's a fun thing to say. Uh, th- this is a personality test. Um, what I'll do is read off a prompt followed by a, a list of options relevant to that scenario. I'll collect answers from each of you. Uh, each answer will play into some highly sophisticated calculations behind the scenes. And uh, and by the end, each of you will have a Tony Lung Chu Wai character that... I'm so uh, most- excited. That uh, most optimally, mat- uh, optimally rather matches you and your sensibilities. Uh, and I'm just thinking about this now. Maybe I'll put this methodology in like a shared doc or something so that it can be accessed by, uh, by the masses. So it's listeners at home... That- this is a right. much like the the apartment quality index. This is an object. This is a scientific uh, method going on behind the scenes here. It was hard. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. 100, percent Aaron. Um, I, I guess it wouldn't be fair to to jump in without knowing kind of what the options are. Um, I <laughs> I bring this up because for the purposes of having a little bit of fun with this, I did separate the. Well, first off, I did include uh, the like one minute screen time character screen time character from days of being wild and i did have that as a separate character because uh, it was a different time in his life that counts different time in his life he is also in some places credited as gambler instead of chow mo wan um whereas (laughs) in in the mood for love it's uh you know indisputably chow like that's that's the character isn't that um, isn't that originally because like that character was supposed to be a different character for a different movie that didn't get made and then he became this character yeah, kind, yeah. Um, I, I guess to to get into that more, um, if you're listening to this and haven't yet, listen to our episode on Days of Being Wild. Um, we probably get into it in about a similar amount of detail as we are now. Um, yeah, it's a big muddled mystery, but um, we've got as options Policeman 663 from Chunking Express, um, Chow from In the Mood for Love, uh, Lai from Happy Together, and uh, Chow, a.k.a. Gambler from Days of Being Wild. Um so, uh, yeah, I, I guess let's go through these together. Um, y'all can get properly diagnosed. Um, and, uh, yeah, this will be a good time. Hopefully I'm uh, wearing this, I'm wearing the sorting hat. I've got my hands on the, on the seat and I'm, I'm whispering, not the cop, not the cop, <laughs> not the cop, eh? Hmm. You would do well there. Um, anyways, uh, that's my sorting hat impression. Uh, question number one, uh, what I'll do, like I said, I'll ask the question. I'll just go to each of you alphabetically by first name, because that's how my brain is working right now. Um, what does your ideal day look like? Uh, a hit up my usual eating spots and spend the night in B take a trip and hike out to a natural landmark. 
C, call in sick to work and try to cross paths with my crush. D, sleep in, get dressed up, and spend the night out with friends. Uh, Aaron, you first. Uh, which one feels feels most like you? Uh, I was ready to ready to ready to go with the uh, ready to go with the call in sick at work, but then you mentioned something about a crush, and I'm a devoted wife guy, so unfortunately, I'll have to go. What was the first one again? You don't uh, you don't crush on your wife, Aaron? That's not very wife guy view. Oh damn, he's got me in a. Uh, the, what is, what is the, fir- the first one? The first one was hit up my usual eating spots and spend the night in. I'm just because it's quarantine and I want to go to a restaurant. I'll do that one. Well, but then All you right. have to spend the night in. It's fine. Fine. I got that's that's the thing that that got to me. Sure. Yeah. Well, he he's uh, he's wife guy. Um, Harry, uh, what's your selection? No downsides for me in choosing C. I am free and uninhibited, baby, oh, and I don't have to go to work. We bump into each other later is what you're saying? That's right. Ooh. Uh, Jason, which which one feels most like you? I'm going to go C. C. A couple of Cs here. Perfect. We're rolling right along to, to number two, uh, which is, what are your typical dinner habits? A. I don't have a great kitchen at my place, so I'm always eating out. Uh, a B. I've got a few favorite meals I cycle between. C. I'll usually pick up food on my way home from work, or I'll eat whatever my roommates are having. Uh, or D. I can cook pretty much anything, but sometimes I'll just feel like ordering a pizza. Um, Aaron, wh- what's your pick? I don't know about anything, but I'll go D. I guess. D. Uh, you're you're pretty good in the kitchen. I I think we've we've seen those pictures sent to the the old group chat. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Harry, what you got? I have to go with the honest answer, which is A. A. All right. Perfect. And Jason, uh, what do you got? Uh, having lived with Aaron for approximately a year, I can confirm the D part. And, uh, and I, I bet you can confirm the D. D (laughs) D, D present, D located. Uh, and I think I would also answer D. I, I feel like I'm up, I feel like I'm up for, yeah, for trying a whole lot of stuff, but there's some nights where it's like, nah, little Caesars it is. Nice. Wow. Little Caesars, uh, sponsor the pod. Uh, that's not, we don't have to get started with that. LC oh, we on the could. All right. We like if they sponsored this podcast. Uh, until they do, we'll move. We'll move along to the third one here, uh, which is: What's your biggest weakness? A. A refusal to let others in. B. Not being able to let go of eras that have passed. Um, what, what movie that is attached to? C. The feeling that I lack a distinct identity. Or D. The ex I can't seem to break free from. Aaron. What's a, what's a again? I'll go a. I think a, a is a, a refusal to let others in. Does that sound like you? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, a. You're a wife guy. What are you talking about? You don't get to oh, have that one. Like others, other than of course, you know. I'm, other than I, the, the most important relationship of your life, which you're other, very happy. Other in. than that, yeah, well, my relationship with Jesus. Uh, uh, well, I, I know yeah. I should have recorded these separately. Uh, Harry, uh, what, what option will you go with? Uh, what was B again? I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, these these are kind of long. Uh, B, not being able to let go of eras that have passed. Uh, he just wishes he could still wear a fedora out in public. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that one's it because... Uh, Harry used to be the goatee guy of our group. The other Man. eras suck. Uh, I'll go with A as well, I guess. All right, and Jason. Uh, I'm not going to also go get A, but I'm going to go C, which I feel is related. Tangent. Ooh saucy um we've got two more here uh 
uh, kicking it over to number four. What is your typical role within a team or group project? A, stick to my normal routines and put in a sufficient amount of work. B, sometimes I'll be easy to work with, but other times I'll prove to be a difficult partner. C, I'm not afraid to go the extra mile to ensure work gets done. Or D, fade into the background. My contributions are not generally felt in the final product. Uh, Aaron, I don't think I, did I, you said C or was it B? Oh, D. D. All right. Aaron picks D. Harry? Uh, again, I think I have to go with the honest answer, which is B. B. Ooh, okay. Well, we're learning a lot uh, about each other, and listeners are learning uh, a lot about us as well. Um, Jason, which uh, which one feels most like you, buddy? C. Nice. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. I would right. say that's true. Also, Cody, have you been doing these? Did you do your own? Um, or since I... you know the answers, you can't? Yeah, I mean, I know the answers. I did a couple test runs just to see how like the math and like ranges and and things would work out. Um, it's it's you know it's it's objective, it's but it's proof. also a process. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think now it's it's pretty foolproof. Um, except for uh, me being the first one through it, as I am a fool. So uh, after me, it will be foolproof. But but beyond that, uh, we are getting to the the final prompt now. Number five. What is one thing you'd like to accomplish before you die? A. Make it to the top and look good doing it. B, clear away the clutter within my soul. C, travel to the ends of the earth. Or D, share my secrets. Aaron? Once again, quarantine is making me choose C. C for Aaron, because quarantine told me to. Uh, Harry? I have to go with the angstiest answer, which is B. I, well, yeah, okay, you might be right. Uh, and Jason? Uh, it's, it's legitimately either B or C. I feel like B would be throwing away too much of myself, but C is a little bit haughty. I'm going to flip, uh, I'm going to flip a bass guitar pick. And if it lands on the Jim Dunlop side, uh, I'll take B. If it lands on the JD jazz three side, I'll take C. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, while you're doing that, you know, as the guitar pick or bass pick reaches its, its apex, you know, if one flashes in your head as the one that you hope it is, maybe, maybe you should go with that, but I'll, I'll go with whatever you tell me. It landed on B. It landed on B, and I'm. This is something else I'm saying slowly so that I can do the math here and get us. Uh, okay. Wow. All right. Very, very interesting results here. Thank you, gentlemen. We are um, all incredibly sociopathic sociopaths. <laughs> uh, you're all. Uh, and I'm double checking my math here. You all. You all landed within within one of each other um aaron and jason aaron and jason came away with the same uh end value harry was one off um but you all you all landed uh, appropriately enough on chow from in the mood for love uh, let's go I you, three, you three are quick to see the beauty in people and places and are generally unfazed by the trivialities of daily life your unyielding faiths in others is at times misguided but even when dealt a bad hand you fellas have a knack for persevering and carving out your own places for yourselves in the world uh so congratulations for that. cody you gotta put this on buzzfeed or something man uh buzzfeed sponsor my income does buzzfeed uh, does that place still exist uh that's a yeah, good question i'll look it up after we I'm record fair. i'm so old unless they got like union <laughs> busted and just everybody got fired yes probably yeah Cody, hey, I, um, got, I gotta say that yeah. that was the most poetic beautiful version excuse me of our yeah. of our games in cody's noties so far in 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 our one car why watch at, at the very least but i think it's an all-timer 
think. Yes, uh, it, very much. It, Thank if, you so much, Cody. For for sure. If I can, um, and this is the only time I will use this phrase. If I could part the kimono briefly uh, in our first episode of the series when i was like yeah i've got some noties in mind this was verbatim the one this was the noty too this this was the noty um put that on a shirt coming soon to the try love shop this was the noty here 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 lies a noty god thank you uh cody for always making the ends of our episodes uh so much stronger than the starts uh we have uh maybe I think one more episode after this publishing about Wong Kar Wai. Um, maybe one or two, maybe. right? We might do yeah, uh, 2046. Yeah. Plans are up in the air, as is everything right now in the world. But uh, look forward to more. This has been our episode about In the Mood for Love, a 2000 film from Wong Kar Wai. Uh, please watch it as soon as possible. It is available, I believe, on HBO Max right now and the Criterion channel. Uh, choose wisely. And uh, if you go to the Trilon for any of their upcoming showings, wear a mask, don't be an asshole. You can find tickets and other uh, fun ways to support the Trilon monetarily and by signing up for newsletters and staying up to date at Trilon.org. You can find them at Trilon Cinema and you can find our humble little podcast at Trilon. Excuse me. God, I got so close. Try love. That was so good. Thank you. God, it was all completely off the top of my dome and I fucked it at the last second. My name is Jason Daphnis. I fuck things at the last second and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Uh, Jason does great work, y'all. Uh, be nice to him. Shower him with praise whenever you see him safely out in the world. Uh, again, wear masks. Don't be assholes. Um, but thank you for listening to In the Mood for Try Love. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Yeah, all of our listeners can hit me up if you ever want to, like, uh, I don't know, write a kung fu serial together or something. Um, you know, we'll figure it out. I'm Harry. You can find me at Shiitake Harry. Uh, I'm Aaron. I disagree with Cody from a minute ago. I think Jason is a, a coward and a bastard, and I think he needs to be put in his place. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RV Please. Oh, I'm going to get you, Aaron. One of these days, I'm going to fucking oh, get you. Siempre. Oh, uh, happy Valentine's Day, right? Oh, God. Wow. That wow. 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 We're releasing on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I forgot about that. Hopefully your, hopefully your Valentine's Day is not as... Hopefully it's like on the other end of the happiness spectrum uh, for this movie. Hopefully it's not a tremendous bummer and you don't lose track of your, your life's biggest love uh, forever. Hey, so, sometimes... Sometimes longing Valentine's Days can be all right, too. That's good. I, I would imagine you know. that all of our fans are uh, seated up on the couch listening to the latest Trial of episode, as as they do every week with their with their significant other. Both cool. of them are love and appreciate their taste right. in great podcasts and films, right? Oh, wow. What a what a just uh, sparkling podcast we're listening to. What a great, great time on Valentine's Day. That's what I imagine. So. Curl up, uh, turn up the heat, uh, crank the Trial of, and... Uh, and happy Valentine's Day. Guys, I'm starting to think about people having sex to our podcast. It's making me really uncomfortable. Why? Please. No, not like that. Jason, could you edit this out? About an hour 33. Mm, I want to, but I got to get a Cody's final quote. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a, a clean read of this. <clears throat> Thank you. I'll leave you in peace. Y así pasan los días Y yo desesperado Y tú, tú contestando Quizás, quizás, quizás Estás perdiendo el tiempo, pero
Por lo que más tú quieras Hasta cuando, hasta cuando Y así pasan los días Y yo desesperado Y tú, tú contestando Quizás, quizás, quizás Quizás, quizás Quizás, quizás, quizás.